I'm going to go from procrastination to just work. And it doesn't really work like that. It's more of a, I'm going to put my hand in front of the dominoes, stop, pause, breathe. And that interruption is what we need to do. We need to interrupt, not intervene. This is the Freestyle Way. Tom Foxley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. It's um, a real honor to be here. I know. It's very cool. Uh, you have been my mindset coach in the past. Uh, do you remember what year that was and how that came about? That was living in London time, so it must have been five, six years ago, um, maybe even more. Um, time seems to just go very slowly than all at once at the moment. It's like, wow, where did that go? Where'd that decade go? Um, and I think I had you on my podcast, and then we kind of chatted about moving forwards and and moving into that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a very special time. I remember being in uh, Mexico City doing a seminar and I was exhausted. And I remember that night I was like, oh man, I have to do the assignments for Tom. Yeah. And uh, one of those things was uh, to to journal. And uh, I just remember being exhausted and thinking, ah, this is the last thing I feel like doing at this moment. And I did it anyways, because I was committed to you. I was committed to the process. And I just remember that that night there was something that flipped over for me, which was this idea that uh, practice, uh, regardless of how uh, small or seemingly insignificant uh, or even how uh, little it may uh, seem to be something that you are excited about doing, can really make a positive impact. And um, uh I just wanted to thank you for giving me the opportunity to to find those moments when when you were coaching me, and uh, I carry them with me, uh, yeah, every day uh, with oh, with that, my own practice now. So that thanks makes you. me incredibly happy to hear, dude. Um, mm-hmm. Like the idea for me is that we worked together for what, three months, and those are things that you carry on and that you take with you. Um, my kind of. <laughs> the approach to business isn't necessarily the most sound one that I think it does work in as much as like my job is that after three months or six months you don't need me anymore and you go on your own way which I love I love that kind of setting you free to like go and do your own thing I'm not particularly sure that people should be reliant on me um but yeah like I think the reason you got such amazing results is the intention that you put into it and the kind of focus and specificity that you kind of work to work to also you just put in the reps like which if whether we're trying to create change and it's neurological kind of psychological mindset or physiological you've got to put the reps in it's a skill that you're trying to develop and all too often it seems like we kind of approach mindset like we want this moment of satori like this kind of like awakening enlightenment moment of like oh i figured it out and those from my experience are so rare and so unpredictable and they come from the weirdest places like conversations you wouldn't expect and like they're just kind of unpredictable and relying on them so not the best strategy but when we put the reps in and we've got a goal with it like the, the change happens and it's a bit more predictable it's not always linear, just like any other kind of progress that we make. Um, but it's it's more predictable. It's more reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so I guess my first question, uh, why mindset? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like the, the more I think about this, the less certain exactly 
I am where it came from. But it seemed like there was always some sort of awareness within me of like, this is, I, I, I seem to be thinking about life on a deeper level than, not deeper necessarily, but a different level to everyone else. Like, I remember like, why is no one questioning why we're doing the things we're doing? Like, being like eight years old or seven years old, like, why is no one questioning the meaning of life? And <laughs> they're just playing football. And they're, they're probably a bit happier at that stage. But anyway, that was, that was a bit more like, like, why why are we doing these things? Um, so I think it's already always been in me to question, like, why we do the things we do. Um, but inevitably it happened because of mind challenges and, like, running up along my own difficulties, like, pretty bad anxiety, which I now realize as a kid. Eventually got diagnosed into something that was temporarily diagnosed as sudden death syndrome, which is um, a heart condition, which doesn't sound particularly positive. Um, is essentially anxiety-induced palpitations. And that was enough to kind of get my attention, as you can imagine. And that took me through this long journey of, of self-discovery where I kind of like, I figured out a few things. It really helped me. Um, and I started having a conversation with athletes and realized that actually this is as important as the sets and the reps. And like, here's your back squat, but also let's chat about why you didn't quite push to where you could have done or that self-doubt that was holding you back from now all the the fear of judgment in the gymnastic skill that you're learning and i was like maybe that's the the real conversation that i can like and it's kind of you find your own little niche don't you by thinking about what can i offer what is unique about me and what does the world need um i think is it ikigai um mm-hmm. that you talked about yeah so um yeah you kind of think about that that meeting point in the in the in the venn diagram of those things and like somehow right there uh like it kind of as much serendipity as intentionality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the difference between a mindset coach and a therapist? I th- Again, there's this crossover. There's like a gray area and it's something that I have to, I'm getting better and better at like, uh, marking out. My personal opinion is that a therapist typically in my experience is working with people who are getting back to baseline and they've kind of dropped down below whatever the norm is um i seem to be working with people who are at the baseline but kind of maybe lacking a bit of direction and they're lacking a bit of intentionality in life and maybe they can see that the the challenge they're facing is kind of psychological in nature but they know that they don't need a therapist they want to go forwards as opposed to get back to where they want to be um or back to kind of a, a midline or average. So that's the way I draw the line. And when I'm kind of, it's, it's a tough one though. Like it, there is definitely crossover between the two. And like, I've got so much from like conversations with therapists, I'm like, oh, that's something I can translate, but I'm typically not treating sickness or illness. I'm kind of moving war- toward the other side of like the, if you use CrossFit's continuum of sickness, wellness, and fitness, like moving more, more from wellness to fitness. Mm. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that that trend makes sense to me. And something that I've been also thinking about in terms of uh, therapy and mm. and mindset development, so to speak, it's almost like uh, in therapy you do a lot of regression, which is important mm. because I believe that regression is progression. But you do a lot of regression that's reflective that allows you to gain a new perspective, mm. which you also do when you're working on your mindset in general. But it, it feels more like uh, present thinking by uh, retrieving information from the past. Mindset feels more like you're creating a vision of the future 
and you uh, create a reflection of the future that allows you to see who uh, you need to become. Furthermore, what, what beliefs you need to develop to be able to to get there. And I don't know if that resonates with you, but if it if it does, um, how do you uh, leverage that in the approach to working with the clients that you you currently interact with? And and what does that process look like? Yeah, like it's it's definitely less a less a kind of anal- analytical approach and more a let's make some progress and see let's let's go through a bit of trial and error and let's test a few things out like and it's less instilling new beliefs intentionally and more kind of freeing from those those kind of beliefs that are limiting but i think it's also important to point out that nerve system regulation just has a huge huge role in this and like the more traditional sports psychology kind of tools like visualization like and pre-lift routines like they they have a huge impact as as well as that kind of more therapeutic side of things um or the more kind of rewiring so we talk about rrp regulation rewiring and performance and where i'm working is like a, a meshing together of all of those so typically what it looks like is we spend a couple of weeks gathering some stats about like okay what's your sleep like because if if you're not sleeping properly like we can do we can do everything that we want we can do all the journey you want but it's going to be so much more like sticky it's like it's like really hard work to get through um so we we focus on that to begin with like nerve system regulation we, we measure what's going on like if you're whoop strap or anything like that like what's your hrv can we can we look at that as well um what's your light exposure like what's your steps like throughout the day like i'm looking at people like okay you nasal breathing most of the time in this conversation or your mouth breathing like there's kind of few things like that going on um and then we'll we start to dig into that story as well like kind of like a the therapeutic approach that we spoke about then it's like can we dig a little bit and just see where things come from and not to continually guess at the source of it but more to get an idea of like okay what's the general feeling tone of your life like what's what's it like to be you so can i understand what kind of thoughts are there what kind of emotions, what physical sensations, what kind of behaviors you engage in. And then also, like, if they're a CrossFit athlete, we're looking at what's your training like, what are competition experiences like. If you are, like, presumed jiu-jitsu, we seem to get a lot of athletes who are BJJ rollers in there. And um, they, like, it's like, what's, what's, like, training like? What's that experience like? Any competition like? So that, and similarly, like, if you're in there to, like, peak performance at, at work, it's like, okay, what, does, what was that meeting like? What, how did that go? So we get an idea of where we're at, and then we start journaling, start adapting some nerve system stuff. We start with, like, can we get some distance between those routines? Do we need to get meditation in there? Do we need to get visualization in there? And we start, like, building out this custom package of this is what works for the individual. Yeah, so individualized prescriptions seems to be the yeah. key to success. Yeah, it's a one-size-fits-one solution. Like there's mm-hmm. principles that apply, but it's more individual. Yeah, and you were mentioning uh, before we started recording that something that you've been doing in your business is you've been moving away from uh, group coaching to one-on-one. And is this is this the main reason that this is happening? Yeah, I th- like. I think there's a couple of things that were problematic that we needed to change. One of them was like people were struggling to hit the depth they needed in like obviously not squat depth in terms of like <laughs> right <in> psychological <laughs> depth um that they needed to to hit um and i think it needed a more personalized experience putting something that's potentially 
been scary for you for a long time into a group forum makes it about 400 times scarier than it is already so being able to share that more personally helps and then also like it's if you're thinking about the kind of relationship you want with a coach like that i think it's a more intimate relationship i think it's more kind of you and i together as a team as opposed to oh when i've got five minutes i'll reply to your messages um and more like okay i'm trying i'm struggling with this now can i shoot you a text it's like that's more it gets it's more personal it's it's more enjoyable it's like i think it's more enjoyable for the athlete but it's also more enjoyable for me as well you get like way fewer people but the results you get more intentional yeah yeah the the impact seems to be a little greater you may be casting a a larger net with a group Mm -hmm. but when you get to drill down on very specific things the impact on one that on that one individual can yeah create a trickle down effect which uh, may affect their community their circles and and so on which which is really cool to hear and it's actually very encouraging because you know, I, I, I also kind of straddle both worlds, the group and the one-on-one. Yeah. And I, I always wonder which is the one that I enjoy the most and which is the one that's making the most impact. And uh, I'm hoping that there's a middle ground, but who, who knows? May, maybe you have to choose. Yeah. Uh, but regardless. I'm, I'm going to yeah, jump in there because I think please. it's like it's an interesting point. I, I actually caught my own bullshit quite early on in that as well because I was... I realized what I was doing is by going group, I was protecting myself from failure. Like, because we're doing it at such a scale, like working with like 100 to 200 athletes at once. It was like, it was such a scale that I was protecting myself from really making the changes. And I could like, I could logically justify reasons for some people not getting the results they could and just go, oh, okay, it's their fault they didn't go through the process. Whereas like, I actually had a really good friend reach out to me and talk to me about kind of marketing and like the image that I was portraying as well but also like he, he called me out on my own bullshit so kindly and in such a like generous way but it really honestly and truthfully and it was a moment of reflection it's like actually I am just protecting myself from hurt and protecting myself from the fear of not being good enough which is what I think so many of us spend time doing in, in various different guises and it like yeah it really required that honest reflection and I think like that was the key there. It was like someone showing me the truth more than I'd seen already. Yeah, that's fantastic. And what what was it uh, besides the hurt that you were uh, protecting yourself from? Was it something else? Yeah. So I think it was. So if I if I go back to my story and like the the bullying side of things, like so that was my identity for for years. Like I was a kid that was bullied. And I still find myself like latching onto that, like socially, I was like fear, fearful of being rejected socially. And like, cause that's how I felt for, I don't know, maybe 12 years of my life. So like, I think I was protecting myself from feeling that way again. So what I did is I created a, a series of different, um, like forms of armor that just sat in front of me that wouldn't let anything through, um, in terms of vulnerability in lots of different ways. Um, and I think that was like, it feels like that was one of the last layers to come off. I got really good at like emotional vulnerability with my then girlfriend, now wife, like I kind of worked through those stages. Um, I got better at like training as well. Vulnerability needed in training, like, oh, I'm going to expose myself to risk and to potential failure and the social judgment there. But like, I created this kind of like identity around mindset rexed and the business that I was running of like. I'm going to sit back here and everyone else can do their own things. I can spout my own wisdom into the world, but um, 
but if anyone doesn't get it, they're wrong and it's their fault rather than it's like, oh, it's me. It's on me. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm an educator in this. I'm a coach. Like, it's my job to explain this better. And part of that is connecting with people mm. and taking responsibility as well. Like, or not necessarily responsibility, but ownership, as much ownership as I could possibly handle. Um, and a lot of that was something that I was avoiding because of that, like, fear of social rejection. Mm. Yeah, that's heavy. And as a coach right now, do you know what environment you feel like you are your best, whether you're being challenged or you can enter a, a state of uh, being in flow? Uh, do you know where that is and, and what that looks like specifically yes, for you? It's listening and picking up patterns. That's what, that's my, my, my zone. Like that's when I'm at the my best. It's like, okay, I'm going to get to know someone three weeks and I'm going to see the pattern that you've been missing for your life. Like that's, that's my job. And when you're doing pattern recognition, uh, are you uh, leveraging this idea that, okay, one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to help you um, uh, regulate your nervous system. We're also trying to work on the narrative, the story that you're telling yourself. We want to reframe that because that's heavily influencing the way that you're performing. And then uh, also giving them strategies and tactics for performing better. Are, are those kind of the three uh, lenses that you look at things? Is it a combination of those? Is it supported by, uh, I think you've talked about this before, but uh, when you've talked about beliefs, I think you've said that uh, beliefs are influenced by education, evolution, environment, and experience. I believe those yeah. are the four, or ease. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong there, but um, yeah, how, how are you, uh, what lenses are you using to find those patterns? And yeah, how are you organizing things in your in your head as you identify them? Yeah, um, in a more and more organized way, but like it's a very, I'm trying to condense it. I'm trying to get more systemized because like I learn a new lens and I want to look through the world through that lens. Like that's kind of my thing. Like I'm, I'm kind of contrarian in the way that I experience life. So I'm kind of like, okay, what's an alternative view to this? What's an alternative view to this? Like, how can I dismiss this? But I'm essentially looking for what are you unconsciously carrying out that's the the main one like what loops are you going through and i'm i start on a behavioral level just to get the behaviors down but then inevitably with someone i'm thinking like so i i draw out these little cycles that people go through as as i'm talking to them especially in the first few weeks and it might be like okay i am um, i fail a rep and that failure of a rep means that i feel embarrassed and shamed which means that i um, pull out of the intensity, which means that I don't get the stimulus, um, which means that I, when it comes around to the next training session, I don't push as hard and it's a, it's a cycle um, that fulfills. And then I'm thinking, okay, drawing out from that, thinking, what are the emotional drivers be between each of that uh, or before each of those? So, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm thinking essentially behaviorally and then emotionally. And then I'm thinking what the beliefs at the heart of that. Um, so I'm thinking about that on one level the nervous system regulation stuff is almost like that's off to the side and i'm looking at that differently and maybe i'll pick up a few things like i said watching people's breath patterns or um watching like if i can see the size of their pupils like seeing how like um, alert they are essentially and i'm thinking like okay physiologically that's something are you highly sympathetic are you like are you, do you have the ability to turn that up and down that dial up and down and then the performance aspect, obviously, because I'm not there with them training 99.99% of the time, I can kind of put that off to one side at the time. But when I'm actually working with someone, I'm basically thinking behaviorally, then emotionally, and then belief-based. Mm. 
Yeah. So it's almost like um, when you're looking at regulating the nervous system or the tactical strategic approach to performance, that is more like being a car mechanic. You're you're you're, uh-huh. you're doing something that is more like hands-on. It's um, it doesn't require uh, as much nuance at the surface level. Yeah, it's but a bit w- more like drag and drop. It's like you can go, okay, let's try this. Whereas mm-hmm. it, it's a bit more intimate trying to pick apart what someone's beliefs are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been impressed with people who are capable of seeing uh, what is behind the scenes just through conversation. And I, I do believe one of those those uh, tools that you can use to access that are, are, are great questions. And that's something that you, you asked me when you were coaching me. You had a lot of questions for me that I, I couldn't answer. I'm wondering if do you have a script for certain questions that you always ask, and if so, what what are some of those that maybe we can ask ourselves if we wanted to self coach oh. or self explore? Yeah, I, I've, I've never used like a script per se, um, but the, the the phrase I use time and time again is okay. Tell me more about that, and I'm just leaving it open. And I think the one way that I've changed most as a coach since I worked with you is I shut the hell up, white hawk. It's um like it, it's just a bit more silence, a bit more discomfort on their behalf, and me not trying to fill it, um because people tell you the most interesting things when you give them the space, um so I I think having a bit more space to do that, but just okay, tell me more about that, and people go in the direction that that they need to go in, but they don't realize they need to go in because they'll the way the brain works is it's looking for salience, whatever's most important, and. You, that's essentially emotional salience. So whatever's the most emotionally um, intense for you, that's what you'll get drawn towards. So I'm thinking, okay, where's where's that gone? And if we can just follow those emotions, just follow it, keep it going. Like, um, And it's quite difficult to do by yourself because you kind of turn away from it. But if you can practice that skill of keep going in that direction, um, keep pursuing what's at the heart of it, you can, you can find that. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting because when it comes to emotions describing emotions are are very difficult uh it's a very difficult practice do you assist people in describing what they're experiencing by giving language to the emotions or is that something that you don't worry about and you just think about the story itself and you allow that to be the conduit so to speak for change i I hold off on the emotions for as long as possible and then you see someone scrabbling and it's like I'm just going to put five different options in front of you and tell me which one of those is is the most appropriate for you. And that that makes sense to me. And uh, so let's talk about practice. So once you once you've identified these patterns and it's time to uh, put things into play, what are the? I remember we we would do our AMWAPs, which was <laughs> as many wins as possible. And and I actually loved doing that because it it allowed me to see that I was being uh, successful uh, on a daily basis, and and those small successes over time were accumulating. Yeah, that's one of the practices. What are some other tools or practices that you encourage people to to drill into? Yeah, the the biggest one that gets the biggest shift for eighty percent of the people is something we call bound nature and free nature. The idea behind that is. When you're in your peak state, you're in what we call free nature, so free, open. Um, and this is something that my mentors, Brian Grasso and Carrie Campbell, taught me. Um, and it was quite a kind of generic or no more general population focus, and I kind of bought it into a bit more of an athlete focus. 
um but the free nature is in terms of like okay when i'm when difficult things happen i'm not thinking all this kind of self-doubt i'm thinking okay i can do this and it's like it's more of a kind of like it's not naive positivity but it's more okay shit happens i can move forwards i've got this like it's a it's a quiet confidence it's not arrogance but it's like quiet confidence um emotionally it's this kind of self-assuredness it's like a, a trust a, um a kind of faith in what will happen unfold behaviors you're essentially doing the things that allow you to move forwards it's you're acting in your own interest and then physically you kind of just feel free and open and energetically balanced then you have bound nature which is the exact opposite of that thoughts like i can't do this i'll never be good enough why i'm like why is everyone looking at me i feel self-conscious um like this sucks this would be too difficult i'm going to get injured all those kind of thoughts emotions um sadness fear um over aggression and like in any kind of scenarios uh like you name it and not necessarily negative ones ones that don't serve you so it could be optimisms in there you, when you're highly optimistic and you're essentially naive like maybe that's the the emotional state um physical sensations either like lethargy heaviness or maybe it's like i've had 400 coffees and i'm anxious and i'm tingly <laughs> and like i'm i'm heady um, and that kind of more anxious side of things and what didn't oh your behaviors the last one so that is um those behaviors are going to be anything that's non-serving and maybe it's working way too hard maybe it's snapping at your partner maybe it's um not training and or being inconsistent with your nutrition like what we can do is once we've identified patterns we can group that okay is that bound nature or free nature and when we've got bound natures like when we've identified specific things that apply to us in our bound nature we can essentially clump them together in roles that we perform a way of acting out this is either a coping mechanism or something we've mimicked from someone that we is usually a caregiver that someone we respect or or use to for for care in some capacity um so the one that i was speaking about earlier was um who i called ian the invincible okay and ian the invincible would be there to protect me from any vulnerability and it sounded like um it was actually kind of this inferiority and superiority complex mix of just like i'm better than everyone else but secretly i'm terrified of being anything less than anyone else um the thoughts were all very angry and very judgmental as well um uh, the emotional side of it um was anxiety like i used to get these shots of like almost like it felt like adrenaline shooting through my hands to my fingertips like this fear heart palpitations was one of them uh, there's there's this entire link and like what giving it a name and a role does is it allows you to distance yourself from it and it allows you to trivialize it and that's kind of one of the differences between what i do in therapy as well i'm not asking you to lie back on it not there's anything wrong with this and it needs to be done sometimes but i'm not asking you to lie down on the couch and like dredge like drag yourself through this emotional turmoil like i'm asking you to become a bit more kind of jovial with it a bit more um bit less sincere about it we can be serious and work seriously but without the sincerity that we have the whole time so um yeah it, it creates that distance and that triviality as well and that allows us to go huh okay ian's here like this isn't me this is just something i've learned to to perform this is behavior that was useful for ages and it's not now so giving yourself that distance between you and it is really helpful and what that does is it just triggers awareness and so you're not going through this pattern five times and it's building an amplitude 
you're going through halfway and you're going, ah, that's the emotion that I was watching out for. I was watching out for the fear of failure. Okay, so I'm going to pick that up now. And that's something I can become highly aware of. Um, and that gives you the, the ability to, instead of trying to, the analogy I always use is like a falling stack of dominoes. It's like we're, we're constantly in this falling stack of dominoes that's going round and round and round and round. What we usually try and do is quickly reroute them and change direction and try and use that energy that's into a completely different action and behavior. So it's like, I'm going to go from procrastination to just work. And it doesn't really work like that. It's more of a, I'm going to put my hand in front of the dominoes, stop, pause, breathe. And that interruption is what we need to do. We need to interrupt, not intervene. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big tool that mm -hmm. really, really helps generate awareness because I essentially talk about a four step process with belief change, testing, and then aiming up, creating a vision and everything that goes along with that. Presence is the third one followed by proof. Mm. Yeah, that, there's a lot to unpack there. Oh, I really like this idea of interrupting versus intervening. It's kind of like people don't need fixing they simply need awareness and that interruption causes that awareness. And something that I've noticed just in my own practice in my life is that when I can name something, like you said, there's a sense of peace that comes from that. And the sense of peace is simply more spaciousness, awareness. Uh, and once you have that awareness, that awareness kind of lives with you for a while. But uh, over time, if you don't continue to name it or you don't continue to acknowledge what is happening, uh, that awareness narrows and then you start to become anxious or you uh, revert to old patterns or conditioning. And I'm wondering, is there a, a minimum effective dose when it comes to, say, say people have been working with you for three to six months and now they're off to their, their own thing. Is there is there a minimum effective dose that you found that, you know, once a day you do this, <laughs> you take this pill, <laughs> you take the NWA pill, you, yeah. uh, <laughs> you do the thing. Um, or is it, is it a lifestyle? And it's a trick question, of course, because we know there's no uh -huh. pill or one thing, but I'm, I'm curious as to how you think about, uh, practice in terms of quantity, um, versus quality impact. It does seem like th there's a, th there's parallels we can draw with physical training where it's like keeping up the consistency, greasing the groove, just repetition after repetition, like doing the, um, doing what you know you need to do, but there's. A point that we get to um the week or spiritual bypassing where you're kind of doing the reps but it's like you're doing them with like polystyrene empty plates it's that you're kind of moving through the process without actually uncovering anything and this is one of the reasons we changed to a one-to-one -one, like you're with us for three months as opposed to you're signing up to a gym membership because people would get in that loop and then they'd get frustrated and they'd be like why aren't things changing as quickly and so there's one way that mindset change happens through putting the reps in and we we're consistent with it but it does seem like you kind of break through a barrier and you you can think about that as pin layers to the onion or like kind of um, or kind of s separating that bound nature from who you really are the kind of shedding of the skin and you, you break through that and it takes a lot of work to go back through that but you can slowly kind of creep in on it so it seems like instead of doing like regular reps it's like punching through the layer taking a bit of a breather and then punching through another layer and that seems the best way to go but generally like i've been doing mindset work for in a specific way an intentional way for almost a decade now and like 
it's more like I've, I go by feel. It's like, what do I actually need? If I'm feeling like massively overwhelmed and I'm stuck in a bit of a rut, I'll go through the exercise we call observe your inner athlete. Where I'll just stream my consciousness out into paper. Like whatever I'm thinking goes down there and I'll do that for a week or so and then look back at it and then whatever patterns are there, I'll have a look at it. If I'm feeling like, what do I actually want out of my life? Am I feeling driven? I'll like think, okay, we're going to create a vision of success. What am I doing to get there? And like one of my markers of success, my milestones, what's an anti-vision as well, like a premeditatio malorum is like a useful exercise. So the stoic exercise of premeditating death, essentially, like what don't I want to happen will be the opposite of success. So there's techniques there about moving forward. And if I'm feeling a bit in a slump, or if I'm feeling like I'm not making kind of the progress that I should be, whatever that word means, then an AMWAP, like I said, as many wins as possible. What did I do today that I usually take for granted that actually move me closer towards success? Because most of the time we are doing way more than we give ourselves credit for, and we're spending all our energy counting scars and not our wins. You know, when you said the anti-vision, I thought that was pretty powerful. I've, I, I... I've always tried to stray away from what seems to be negative on the surface, but a lot of times knowing what's not going to work allows you to see that what does work. So it's kind of like, here are 10 ways for you to fail at improving, um, you know, in anything, a back squat or your mile time or whatever it may be. It, do you have strategies for that? Yeah. Um writing it out in detail getting to know it like what's the um are we talking about like pre-med here, here are 10 ways yeah, you can guarantee it. to fail <laughs> right? okay. like, don't sleep uh don't eat okay, uh, okay. Yeah, don't yeah. warm up you yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. stuff yeah. like that they're all of them yeah um <gasps> no there's, there's so many um yeah sleep is the big one um be completely unaware like if, if what you're trying to uh yeah be unaware of your own emotional states um uh, like spend all your time telling yourself you're not good enough uh, and then find proof to to, to reinforce that. The, the list is endless for, for what you can do to fail. Uh, uh-huh. I suppose it's endless for what you can do to succeed too. Um, it, it depends how you define failure and success as well because there's plenty of people who um, force themselves to a very high level of performance and then lose everything that really mattered to them. Um, you can like take very public examples like Tiger Woods, for example. Um yeah, you, that Tiger Woods' life comes and anyone comes as whole. Like you can't break it up into parts and go, I'll have my relationship that I've currently got with Tiger Woods' golfing abilities. That, that doesn't work. You've got to take the whole thing and take it wholesale. So, um, yeah, I've, I've lost my, my train of thought. Yeah, it, 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 was, it, was a, it was a tricky question too. And it was more intended to evoke this idea that sometimes when we look at uh, the mechanical things, it's easier to find the path versus yeah. what is happening internally, which yeah. seems to be very convoluted and abstract when it comes to your thoughts, your beliefs, and the way that you process information. And uh, wondering how you know you could you could uh, work on the inner workings um, through a more practical, uh, mechanical uh, way. And, and it's uh, and it's not something that I I believe. The, there needs to be a formula for because I think every right. every individual is is unique. There is yes a pattern that is general, but uh, everybody is unique. Thus, uh, it's hard to find a um, an individualized uh, sorry a, a universal prescription that okay. that can work for everybody. And that's why I think coaches like like yourself are out there because uh, we need yeah. you. 
uh, we, we need you to extract that information. And uh, where my mind went to when you were talking about uh, visualizing, in terms of visualizing, how do you practice that? What do you visualize? Do you visualize the end goal? Do you visualize the process? Do you visualize both? Uh, yeah, what does what yeah. does that practice look like? It's useful to understand the end goal and to use emotion. Like This is, again, a big shift that I, I think I've experienced between working with you and currently. The, I used to think about, like, if you visualize the end goal repeatedly, then subconsciously you figure out a way to get there. Like, it, um, there's a, I can't remember if he said it, whatever you plant inside the subconscious and nurture with repetition and motion becomes your reality. Like that used to be a big guiding feature for me. But once you know the vision, you know the vision. And actually what we found through execution, but also reading a few studies as well, and trying, trying this with almost, well, thousands of athletes now, what we found is that once you visualize success over and over and over again, the effect of that is to go, oh, I've already done it. Like I'm experiencing the dopamine. I'm experiencing the success of, of that like time, time again. So part of you goes, well, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to get there. Whereas what we want to identify success with is the hard work. And there is hard work and success, if whatever you, however you define it then there is difficulty. So if we can associate that dopamine release with the hard work and the process, that's what moves us forward. So if we're thinking about, um, the, a great example is like, okay, we're going to visualize deadlifts and you don't visualize standing on top of the podium at the end of a, a, um, a powerlifting competition and think, oh, wasn't that brilliant? Wasn't that easy? Look where I am. You visualize the process of pulling that barbell and the way that feels and the awful feeling of just dragging you back down, fighting for control. And you, fo and you visualize yourself overcoming that and moving through it. And it's not that you're trying to dismiss it. Like you're not trying to dismiss the difficulty. You're trying to show yourself like, this is what it's going to feel like. So that when you pick up that barbell and it feels like it's nailed down to the floor, you know that you carry on fighting at that point you carry on pushing through and i think that applies to whether you're trying to improve your relationship you can visualize a um a difficult conversation and how you might feel and what that emotion like again putting the reps in of overcoming that you can also use the opposite of like you can visualize the carrot or you can visualize the stick and what's that going to feel like like how much is it going to suck to look back at your life when you're 85 and think i blew my opportunities I had all those opportunities in front of me and I wasted it. Um, that's a powerful motivator too. We can't do that too often because it, it's really hard work and it's it's really heavy. But like if if certain like if if certain athletes I work with aren't putting the reps in that they need to put in, like that's a useful tool because of like I think we can all visualize what that would feel like to go like I let that slide and that classic deathbed regret of the things that you didn't do as opposed to the did do. I think that's something we can use to drive us. Mm. Yeah, what drives us? Well, unconsciously beliefs. That's why we're working there. Um, I think there's, again, like you said, there's, where do those beliefs come from? Evolution, so the biological things that are hardwired into us, so negativity bias, that, that drives us. Um, then we've got um, experience, your wins and losses in the past, education, what you're implicitly taught. And so I think that's the most powerful. Um, and 
Oh, no, sorry, environment. Did I say environments like mm, the environment taught, and then education, what you're explicitly taught. Um, those, I think, are what will drive us. And then, obviously, like you can put trauma into that. And I'm not a trauma expert. I know a bit about how it works, but I'm definitely not a trauma expert. We can put that in there. We can put about. We can look at like the kind of the survival mechanisms for your organism that's driving you to like the social fitting in as well, like the the acceptance socially. Um, the drive to, I think, if we really look at it, one of the most powerful ones is evolution. Like that force pushing through us is, is like forcing us to pass on our, our genetic code. Like that's that's the driver of a huge amount of what we do. Mm. Yeah, evolution is a big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's bigger than your eye. <laughs> right. That, that one's really, really big. Uh, talk to me about. Um helping people create an environment that is conducive for their growth uh, do you do you help people design an environment or encourage certain um things that are conducive for them to be able to uh, journal better meditate better uh, do the the practices that you uh recommend is that something that you you work on um what usually happens is people start to change their environment through the work that we do and they find something that's right um I'll usually reflect back on them things that aren't working and allow them to make their own decisions. For example, the people they spend most time with. Um, I'm not a complete believer in the five people you spend the most time with is the average view you become because, not because it's not true, but because you don't want to sacrifice on those relationships because they're more important than the attainment of your goals. Um, so there's there's that there. Um, but I, I find that usually people are, fairly receptive to changing their environment and shifts just kind of happen they start to move toward the type of person they want to be and they start to like design the way they spend their time as much as as anything they start to carve out a bit more of a sacred and purposeful and intentional space to to work on their mindset and so i feel like the environment through conversation just comes along for the ride and like honestly there's probably more i could do there um, but it seems to be working at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, and are you are you aware, or uh, is is there even an answer to this question? I don't know. But um, how much experience does that does one person need to uh, get enough evidence that it 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 turns the mindset over into a new state yeah. of uh, of expression and and uh, new beliefs and just simply creating a new new self or expression of the self? Yeah. Um... It's either one hugely emotionally powerful um, event or one um, or, or a repeated exposure to the same stimulus. Um, so there's there's one example where I just, yeah, how, how can we do this and, and get into it? Okay, so on one holiday with my now wife, I was there and like we're having a lovely time constantly in this back of my mind was like i'm stressed about what i'm creating i like i've got to get back to this like i've got like fear that like, was driving everything and like that had been my entire narrative for my whole life like just complete fear driven like kind of got to get away from like this failure that i could see time and time again until it all got too much um somewhat of a breakdown ruined the holiday or a bit of it especially one day and that was enough of an emotional realization to shift entirely how i acted 
because it's like this isn't about me anymore this is about something bigger than me this is about both of our futures this is about um potentially if we have kids like our, our kids future like this is this is no longer about me this is bigger than it ever sh like yeah it's bigger than it ever was and it's like and that was enough to drop the fear actually become way more fearful of something else and go towards the future that i actually wanted um and to break through my own bullshit as well which is just this constant pattern that i think we're all all going through so one very intense painful moment can be enough if it reflects you towards truth hopefully that's that's beneficial or repeated exposure like if you can count your wins every day for three months and it's specifically in the face of i don't believe i'm good enough and you show that you're you're putting it or i believe i have to be perfect so yet let's use that one and you should prove yourself like i move forwards in all these different ways by putting the reps in and i failed here and i put an ugly reps here and i was uncomfortable here and i felt like everyone was watching me here but i still put the reps in i still made progress like doing that repeatedly for well people start to get results after two weeks with us really but like do that for three months and you're like you're on it mm -hmm. yeah it, it's like um there there are several studies on habit formation and apparently after three days you, you're starting to groove a mm -hmm. pattern uh, in mm -hmm. your nervous system that says yeah this is something that you start to crave but it can take up to 200 and whatever 50 days yeah. or something like that for it to to stick and uh just hearing you speak about this uh just is something that I, I wanted to hear from you because I know that everybody is looking for the quick fix. And yeah. uh, a lot of times uh, there is not a quick fix unless there's something um, very acute that happens that unfortunately can be also experienced as traumatic and thus get recorded in your body as something that is negative rather than uh, positive. And then you have to dig yourself out of this hole and, and that's maybe where a therapist comes in or maybe even a psychiatrist uh, which is something a little bit heavier. But it's cool to hear that these these small wins and being able to do that for three months is something that, that that's where uh, you can find success. There's more in your control. And uh, and it can be very impactful in, in the in the long run. Now, shifting gears, uh, you are in the self-improvement uh, industry, yeah. and so am I. And I have had... Um, a challenging relationship with that industry because I, I do see that it is beneficial, yet um, the way that it's presented, especially in the social media circles and uh, when it comes to maybe uh, bigger accounts or big, bigger, <laughs> bigger names out there, uh -huh. that it's um, unhealthy in many ways. And it can uh, prey on people who... Uh, are desperate to feel better. Yeah. What's what's your take on the self improvement industry, self help, and and how are you uh, contributing to the problem, and how are you mitigating the problem and making it better right now? Yeah, it's it's a really complex issue, and again, it's a, there's a line that I have to work hard to stay the right side of. Um, at the end of the day, I think in order for someone to sign up to any kind of coaching service they have to experience some sort of pain to drive them forwards um but i've been on like kind of business development courses where it's like all you do is hammer these pain points and it's like you just talk about pain points over and over and over and over and over again and whilst that in the short term is great for me and my business 
it's not great for society at large. Um, I th I find that is a kind of giving people the reasons change and asking people like, okay, why is it important now to to move forwards is important. Like they need to understand the ramifications of that. Um, but the constant emphasis on not being enough and when you're going to be fixed and there's something wrong with you i think that is something that needs to to change i don't know man what do you, what do you see yeah no i agree with what you just said about the pain points i i feel like uh, preying on people's fears um is unfortunately uh detrimental to the the greater good so to speak but i also do understand that that sells and uh -huh. when you decide to be in the business of self-development and you position yourself as a coach uh, you, you, you need to make money somehow. You need to have clients. And um, I'm constantly straddling those, those, those two worlds of uh, thinking about growing my business yeah. and at the same time uh, giving people or showing people what I think is uh, healthy. And uh, what do I know? I mean, I'm work in progress, so I, I, I just don't know what that is. But I'm constantly looking to see what is it that other people are thinking about and how are they presenting themselves and what is it that we should be doing at this point in time, especially with the uh, rapid evolution of technology. I mean, we're seeing just like chat GPT, AI, uh, it's been a thing, but now it's a thing where anybody who has messed around with it knows that all of a sudden you can have this uh, AI coach and... Uh, um, I'm wondering if we're the ones programming these machines, uh, how should we be thinking about self-improvement to make sure that the the language and the intelligence that's being developed, and this is a lot of out of our control, but it's something that I just ponder on, to make sure that at a social level, at a collective level, it's doing um, more good than harm. And I and I don't know I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm I'm constantly exploring that. Any any thoughts come up as I just reflected that to you? Well, I suppose what you're trying to do at the end of the day is establish a belief at the heart of this that is most true, and that is yeah. If we can do that, that moves us forward. And what does like true mean? Observable, like maybe that in includes subjective truth too um so if we can move towards that i gen generally think we're moving forwards if we can describe the situation truthfully the i mean it's infinitely complex yeah. like infinitely complex i'd i'd love to have a firm opinion on it because it would make my life a lot easier and it'd make my kind of whatever's going through my mind less um tumultuous but I don't know enough about it, man. Like I, right. like I, I don't know. Like there's, who knows? Um, it's yeah, ultimately complex. It is, it is ultimately complex, and something that I've I've always said when it comes to business development, and and really, what do I know about business development? I've found some success in certain areas, but um, there's so much about my current business that uh, makes me feel like I'm in a position. Uh, to not really speak about it as an authority, but I, I've always said that uh, people pay for uh, curation and access. Those are the two things. 
information is free, but when uh-huh. the information is curated in the form of a book, a course, or whatever, people tend to pay because it, it allows them to access that information in a way that allows them to process that information quicker and thus potentially make an impact. So that's the curation side. And then access is getting close to the source. So uh, let's say you have put out a book and uh, people read that book. People would pay to get access to you to be able to ask you questions, interact with you, and interface right. with you in a way that allows them to uh, get a different perspective on that which maybe you had curated originally. Yeah. Do you reckon customization comes in there as well? Um, like individualization within that? Yeah, and I think that's the access part. Yeah. yeah. But then sense. there are experiences. So for example, let's say let's say you were invited to speak at a conference and the, you did a Q&A. In that moment, people would get uh, uh, a chance to maybe ask you a question and you could customize your answer to that person. But then I think there is the... Um, deliberate practice over time which is now the coaching and that is your role uh, that that is deployed and i think that's what you do as your profession and that's a different type of access so i think access has has levels you can have group you can have individuals you can have a short period long period uh, and so on but i think that's what people pay for and thus and, and I'm not sure how, how this ties into where I started, but I think right now being able to uh, share information at scale in a way that is curated enough that people feel like just by listening to it, which is their pain with their time, uh, can get an exchange that is valuable and on the on the other side, uh, produce a positive impact in the self-help help industry. Yeah, like I, I think that's the one. Like if you can, if you can give someone a genuinely valuable experience, like how do you define value? Something that not necessarily moves them towards their goals, um, but something that. Well, there's there's so many judgments that come on to that. Like, is a better <laughs> right. person? Is like, like how do you define value at the end of the day? Um, I think that's an important thing to do because there's obviously value to the economy and there's value to the individual, um, and there's value to your ego. Um, so there's, that's complex too. Yeah. I th- those two pieces are it. Like if you can develop the conversation in some way, that novelty, I think is, is maybe part of it too. Um, because the thing that you can offer more so than anyone else is your perspective. And maybe you like the, the figure I like to use is if you're looking at a statue from only one perspective, you can't tell whether that's 2d or 3d. Um, so you've got to walk around it and and get access from different perspectives. And maybe that's what you offer. You offer your truthful, honest perspective. And that's what advances the conversation in, in a way that hopefully helps people because they get access to more data points in a way that advances the conversation because it's added data into a more nuanced conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I'm also thinking about is that the self-help, self-improvement industry is a growing industry when you look at the the numbers the figures i don't know if it's billions or trillions but i think it's billions um yearly uh billion dollar industry multi-billion dollar industry but uh if we were to do our job really well and share information publicly i'm wondering if we are in a dying industry or if it's an industry that's going to uh, be capped at a certain level because eventually 
everybody who actually wants to make an impact is going to drill down to the point where you are right now saying, I need to do one-on-one work and it's temporary. And eventually uh, I, I pass away or um, everybody on the yeah. planet has been treated because uh-huh. we have enough resources that allow uh, one-on-one access and thus uh, everybody's healed and then the industry uh, ends there. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but it's something that I ponder on often. Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully you can, we, uh, on mass, we can work ourselves out of a job. Um, and that would just free things up amazingly, wouldn't it? To be able to know that your limitations aren't going to get in your way and, or your mental limitations, and you can just go and learn whatever skills that you want to learn. It's like, okay, I want to, um, run the best business possible. And I know that like my, my sales skills are what I need to develop on or my, my coding skills are what I need to develop and that's what I'm going to work on or I'm going to have relationships and like I know that I'm not getting get in the way. Something tells me though that we quickly forget what's been and gone. Um, hence why everyone's rediscovering Taoism and Stoicism at the moment. Um, it's useful strategies that were thought about originally millennia ago and then probably millennia before that as well. Um, we have short memories, I think, and we need to relearn this information. And also, like, to the best of our knowledge, we only get one shot at this, right? So, we, and we're very naive for most of it. So, I can't imagine it will go away anytime soon, um, just because the individual journey is is so um, personal. Mm. Yeah, this is what I, I call the ancient technology of the future. It's yeah. something that... W- as humans, we're always going to go back to that which is us today, and that's what's leading us to the future. Thus, uh, this is a, a never-ending uh, state of evolution or or progression, yeah. Yeah. and being able to live there is 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 impactful. But anyways, ch- changing topics. Um, in the last decade of you being a mindset coach, um, which do you call yourself a mindset coach? Is that what you? Yeah, I do. Like, I, th- I think so. I think I do right now. Okay, um, it, yeah. Like, I, I don't know how to put a label on me for leave it. Like, there's something like that. Right. It's a mindset coach. And I think that's yeah. totally fair and it's, and it's totally valid. And I think, I think you're a great mindset coach. In fact, I, you, I, I, you, you, uh, heavily impacted me, um, in our, in our time together. So, uh, yes, I, I think you should take full ownership of that. Uh, but I'm curious, in the last decade of you being a mindset coach, what have been some of the most memorable and impactful moments for you that have uh, shaped um, who you are as a coach today? Mm. I would say most of them aren't to do with mindset coaching. Um, they're to do with living my life. Um, one of them was I was um, ski touring around um, British Columbia in yeah i think it was early yeah it was early last year and until that point i'd been not necessarily gung-ho with things that were very dangerous um but i'd done quite a lot of them i joined the royal marines um which is your job is to go and kill people and hopefully not be killed when you boil it down um i did a fair amount of climbing i spent a lot of time in the mountains um and but until that point i'd been pretty gung-ho with things like i'd tell myself that I'd take a lot of care in, in the backcountry but I was pushing the envelope I'd always got away with it until that point and a friend and I very very good friend and I um met up like he'd been ski touring all, all winter I flew out from London over to BC 
going to Vancouver, spent a couple of days with him, and then we had this big trip lined out, and it was going to be covering a lot of kilometers each day, and it was going to be super cold, and it was going to be challenging, but it's also going to be the trip of a lifetime. So I had this in mind, and we set out on the first day. First, like, got to the car, um, yeah, the parking lot, had a little chat with the husband and wife there, um, said goodbye to them, said, stay, stay safe, um, as you kind of always do, and also polite Canadians, like, it's, it's always the way to do things. Um, so we wandered off, got into this tree block, and the avalanche conditions for us were a bit, like, tetchy, but we are like, okay, we'll carry on. Gone to this, this wood block, and it's completely clouded in, like, complete... Um, complete ping pong ball condition so it's like being on the inside of a ping pong we can't see anything like depth perception completely goes really struggling to um, to kind of like navigate and just had this huge crack in a wolf which for anyone who's been in the mountains like instantly recognisable as a huge avalanche and to give you some scale this was um, like size one is they use as a I think it's a table tennis a, yeah table tennis table um, size two is 10 times larger than that. So the tennis, ta- uh, tennis court, 10 times larger than that is size three. And this was a size four, which is basically enough, big enough to wipe out, um, a small village is the, the size of it. This went off and the long story short is utter confusion from everyone. Luckily we went through the right processes, but we we're on the opposite side of the mountain to everyone else. That was the face we should have been avoiding. Luckily that they were on. And the girl who we met in the parking lot, she was killed in this in this avalanche. Um, we couldn't even go to help because it was um, it was too dangerous over there. I wanted to go over, and if I went over when I said I wanted to go over, I'd have lost my life um, because another one came, and then another one came, and another one came. It just kept on stepping down and triggering further up as more people came to the the area. But that really taught me to to take this shit seriously not just in the mountains but like you get one shot at this you get one real shot at life and it takes a lot of good decisions to to stay in the right place and to do the right things but it takes one bad decision to really screw up so it's made me much more thorough and it was like yeah I, it still gets me emotionally like you might be able to hear my voice like it's still like the, it was, the thing was difficult was not actually like the rescue process it was being on the other side and not being able to help like that was tough like because like you just want to go in and help but like yeah it, it really taught me like one shot like just one shot and like that's one of the things that drives me and makes me care for like the interactions with the athletes that i have as well it's like okay i get one shot of this conversation i'm going to make it count like we get this present moment where we can make decisions future's illusion past has been but like what's this moment this interaction that i have with this athlete and like there's been times like that like that was probably the most recent big impactful um moment that shifted not necessarily my style of co- yeah i suppose it did shift my style of coaching in a, a roundabout way and how i interacted with people but i don't know it's, it's one of those things that's awful on the surface but probably like you can only use that as a as a beneficial thing for you mm-hmm. yeah and that benefit propelling you forward to something that you can be hopeful for or that you can uh, really give everything that you have to and kind of leveraging that story which is uh, 
heavy, but it seems like it has made a positive impact on you. Yeah, what are you excited about? Um, or what are you looking to that is something that feels right to you right now when, when you think about the future? It's going all in. Like, it really is going, which has come so cliche and so kind of is said the whole time. But again, like, one of the things that came from that was, like, just fully commit to what, what you're doing here. Like, we spend so much time, like, half-arsing, like, trying to half, like, go in, like, one foot in one part of success and like no i want to be in then you kind of want to have everything but it's like i'm going to truly commit to this um stephen pressfield's book both um the yeah the war of art and turning pro turning pro was one of the best books i read because it was like commit to this and that's all i'm really focusing on it's like if i truly commit this moment and go pro for what that means for me in, in terms of that's balancing Tony Pro as a, as a mindset coach but also as a husband and also as an athlete and also as a mountaineer like if I can turn pro in this moment right now and act to the highest level of that I don't really need to worry about the future because this moment in itself is meaningful enough and I think <laughs> that's really like when you ask me what drives us earlier I think meaning like really it's like what's meaningful to you all those influences they create meaning and the brain seems to be hardwired to identify meaning. Um, so, like, if I'm living myself in accordance with turning pro, that is meaningful enough for me. And, like, that's what gets me excited. Yeah, we're meaning-making machines, I like to say. So that's very, uh, very accurate when you, when you say that. I wonder, in terms of going all in, how do you, how do you, do that because people are like, oh, finances. Um, I mean, if I'm going to start a new career, how do I how do I financially support this? Or uh, expertise. How how do I demonstrate competence? And um, how much education do I need? When am I ready? Is there is there a dial for that? Is there a way of mm. measuring that? Yeah, I think it's away from what's worse and towards what's evidently better. And knowing that within that, you're going to go wrong so many times you're going to fail and it's going to be uncomfortable but ultimately you're not going to take that direct path towards true north you're going to stagger around blindly and occasionally you'll go back and like but if you can keep i think it there's something inherent in like things that are meaningful to you as an individual like authentically meaningful to you as an individual those like that is a feeling that i think we go for like, I don't think it's logically justifiable. And like, we can kind of put like, okay, I've got to earn this much onto it. And like to, to, to do this, like if I want to be the mountaineer that I really want to be, I've got to earn a certain amount of money and work a certain amount of hours and give myself, like that's all logically. But like, if I can pursue that true north, that authentic true north and, and go for that, I think that is, that's the dial. Like that's the, that's your internal compass because your experiences Carl and my experiences give us a different true north and they might run parallel to each other for a bit but they'll deviate slightly yeah. and that is as much your individuality in terms of psychology as it is physiology as it is interests as all these kind of things I think that's what gives you the um, yeah your ability to to move forwards to to distinguish what's true north from someone else's true north and for you you you, you said that it's moving away from what's worse to what's evidently uh, better mm. and i think the key word there is evidently better yeah. what what are the 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 pieces of evidence the the key performance <laughs> and indicators that say that it's evidently better for you 
specifically yeah um i think it's a feeling thing man like i think it's there's one way we can look at the world which is just the hard scientific view and there's another way which is i suppose the religious view and i don't think either one of them is wrong and i don't think either one of them is completely right because there's a reason that religion is still part of today's world and i'm going to i'm going to say that at least one of them is wrong because they contradict each other so like one of them's like they're, they're probably all missing something but they're also talking to a truth that is subjective this is jordan peterson versus sam harrison's debate about religion versus science but then the science which is objective truth and like this this these are your kpis the immeasurable quantifiable objective truths of like this is my income going up and like i it's a trade-off between them and i almost think about it like yin and yang and the Tao running the the way the path running between the two of them like when they're in harmony when that religious view of like this is meaningful to me and the scientific view of um this is measurably better like when they're in harmony that works and like there's one of the things that taught me that was a few experiences of plant medicine of like oh there's something here that i didn't i previously thought was utter crap and previously would have dismissed but there's something more to life and that's a very feeling slash religious based um incentive and then there's the other side which like well this this table this desk because i almost knock my mac over yeah. it's real um it's real like there's there's an objective reality to the end of yeah need to survive need to have relationships with people and want to improve and want to lift more weight and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's a big one. Uh, when when you say plant medicine, are you referring to ayahuasca, psilocybin? Both, yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, a bit of... Um, oh, mind has gone completely blank as well. Cacti, um, not San Pedro, but the other one. Yeah. Uh, peyote or whatever peyote, it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, a few experiences with that. Um, firstly, recreational and then in, in a more intentional um, and I suppose semi-therapeutic way. Yeah, my sense is that I, I haven't um, experienced um, anything uh, plant medicine based, but my 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 sense is that it's going to be a key tool uh, that we're going to be seeing in a lot of different practices and for a lot of different populations around uh, for the next ten years at least. I feel like it's going to explode. Uh, which makes me think just from like a business perspective, people should be investing in this. <laughs> but okay. um, but I think also people should be very open to what is to come as um, I think it gives you access to a perspective that when you come from a purely logical, practical, objective, uh, real earthbound uh, point of view, you just can't get access to. Mm. You're missing something that's just as true as the earthbound stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm very curious. I have no clue. I mean, I, I know nothing about it. So I, but I'm very curious to see uh, what happens when those two worlds merge in a way that allow us to uh, use our pea brains to understand it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 my hope is that people like yourself, like yourself, um will be uh key players in helping us understand yeah 
yeah, like I think there's a lot of work to do there. There's there's really a lot of work to do there. I'd like, yeah, that is something that'd be interesting as well. Like the kind of combination of them. Um, but I think it's trying to understand what experience is at the heart of it, and the more data points, the better. Yeah, I guess my my uh, final question is: Is there anybody that you look up to or look look to for guidance, information, mentorship at the moment that um, you would encourage um, people to maybe learn more about? Hmm. Um, well, the the most obvious one that access is very restricted is my wife. Like she's the person that I look up to for mentorship um, and guidance and um, feedback, essentially, um, of like what's right for us and. Like, am I becoming a little self-obsessed? Am I forgetting things that are important to us as a family? So, like, that's that's important. Um, Jens Robinson would be the person that I would um, recommend to you. Um, another former athlete that I've worked with, um, but he runs, or he, he co-runs a professional fitness coaches association in the UK, and he is the most generous and kind and thoughtful person um the embodiment of like all the values that you'd want and also one of the best expert coaches in terms of physicality that i've ever met um but also combines that heavily with the the mindset side of things um so if there's i imagine there's a crossover of like functional fitness coaches who listen to this like he's he's the dude um he really is the dude um He's, yeah, the very kind, generous guy. Mm, love it. Love it. Uh, any final words, anything uh, that you would like to uh, share with uh, the listeners? Anything that they can take as a message to maybe lean into their own mindset practices or anything that you just believe could be a seed that is important to plant at this moment? Yeah. Um, There's the obvious one, the leaning into what's murky and dark is the way forwards um there's the myth of or the story of king arthur's round table and he sends all his knights off in the pursuit of the holy grail and he says no there's what where where do we start looking it could be anywhere in the world he says wherever the forest is darkest to you so like darkest most confusing and painful maybe and to you like your individual version of that and so that's a nice place to start I like it. Well, where can people get access to you uh, and how can uh, can we support you? Cool. So easiest thing, um, my Instagram, Tom Foxley, F-O-X-L-E-Y. Like that's the host for everything at the moment. Um, starting to release some blogs at the moment, which is really nice to be writing effectively again. And the podcast, um, the Limitless Athlete podcast, that's the easiest way to, to follow what I'm doing. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to listening in and I hope everybody listening got as much out of this conversation as I did. And uh, Tom, I appreciate you taking the time and making this happen. Thank you so much, dude. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the conversation. Awesome. We'll do it again soon. This is the Freestyle Way.